0: Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Tim Tebow. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Intentional Living and Leadership. I'm Cal Walters and I'm coming to you from my new home in Southern Pines, North Carolina. Many of you know that I'm an army officer and we move every few years, but I love that I can bring you new content from wherever I am in the world. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you're new, we release a new episode every other Tuesday on strategies for living an intentional life, inspiring others through effective leadership, and making the world a better place. Today, I'm excited to bring you an interview with three-time CEO, Spencer Kupferman. Spencer currently serves as the CEO of Milwaukee-based PKWare, an award-winning data security software solutions company. In addition, Spencer supports Thompson Street Capital Partners portfolio companies working closely with their tech-enabled software practice as an executive advisor. Spencer most recently served as CEO of CloudDaddy, recognized as a top 10 storage startup 19 by crn.com prior to cloudaddy spencer was president and ceo of global software inc the global leader in corporate performance management reporting solutions spencer spearheaded the revolution of the spreadsheet server platform. As it took the market by storm, Spencer led the company through two successful nine-figure transactions to market leading private equity firms, Thompson Street Capital Partners, and TA Associates. Spencer holds a BS in kinesiology from the University of New Hampshire, where he was a member of the men's basketball team and an MBA technology management from the University of Phoenix. Spencer, his wife, and their three children reside in Scarsdale, New York. On this episode, we discuss Spencer's incredible father, Ron Kupferman, who was the founder of Global Software, and it was neat to hear Spencer reflect on the impact his father has had on him. We talk about his most important leadership attributes, how failure and adversity have shaped him, and we talk a lot about this concept of hard work versus talent and a lot more. You can find show notes to this episode at calwalters.me, just myname.me. Without any further ado, please enjoy this interview and these insights from Spencer Kupferman. Spencer Kupferman, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here today, man.
1: It's it's unbelievable to finally. I know we've been trying to get this together uh, for it feels like months. Actually, it's been months, and <laughs> to be here with you is is a big honor and a, and a pleasure. So I appreciate the opportunity.
0: I know we've been we've been trying with COVID and with all the different uh, cool things you have going on. I'm, I'm excited that we can fit this in. I know you're busy, so I appreciate it. And and I'm so excited to talk to you too. I'm so excited to share your insights with the audience, because a lot of what you have experienced is so foreign to me. You've been the CEO of multiple software companies. You grew up with a father who was a founder of multiple software companies, and you've seen his leadership. And so I'd love to start there. Of course, we're going to get into all of the great leadership insights that you have in your leadership, but tell us what it was like growing up with Ron Kufferman, the founder of Global Software, the company that you eventually became the CEO of. What was it like, and what did you learn watching him and observing him and having him as your father?
1: It's a great question. Uh, It's one that's uh, obviously, as you know, Cal, very close to my heart. Before I get into that, I first just want to say, um, just for the audience out there, how much I appreciate your service to our great country and uh, and the sacrifices uh, um, that you and and your wife make um, as many Many active duty uh, and, and people who have served have and continue to make those sacrifices. So I wanted to recognize you. I know this is about me, but I, I wanted Wonderful. to just just recognize that um, I don't you know that that's not a, a light thing for me. And I've always respected that about about you and appreciate um, so appreciative of your service and what you do for the United States mm-hmm. of America. So I, I, I really appreciate wow. that and wanted to first uh, recognize you in that in that regard.
0: Well, Spencer, and let me just also say, and I appreciate you mentioning my wife too, and that Spencer, and uh, you are, uh, the, way, the way I met you was through my wife. She was working at Global Software at the time and you you took a chance on her and you helped her develop, which is, just highlights your leadership. But I just want to tell you, I sincerely appreciate how supportive you've been to my wife as a military spouse. I think a lot of people don't know how tough that can be. Moving around the country, no often, way. you know, you don't have a lot of control over where you live and your circumstances. So uh, I want to also publicly thank you. And I, and I appreciate those words, man.
1: You got it, brother. You got it. And, and so I wish you luck. I know you're, you're heading out and on a new gig there in Fort Bragg, which, you know, that's um, close to my old stomping grounds there in, in, uh, in North Carolina. So, um, you know, they're getting, they're getting the greatest. So I hope they, they appreciate that. Thanks, man. Um, you know, growing up, um, I think you kind of gave some really accurate color to that that background about about Ron Kupferman, my my father, and he's just been a super a super mentor. I think he's a great teacher. He's uh, you know he's been incredibly patient with me, and so kind of growing up in that environment, you know, the last thing that I ever thought I'd be as a CEO of a software company is as ironic as that might be, it's not, you know, you grow up, you're not like, oh, I, you know, I want to go be a software, you know, when you're six years old, that's not, you're thinking about, I want to be a policeman, a fireman, I want to play for the New York Knicks, or, you know, whatever. But, you know, for me, being able to just be around him and watch how he carries himself, and, um, you know, I'm not Ron Kupferman, and, uh, and I think one of the first things I had to learn was that I shouldn't try to be him. Mm. And um, I think when I first got into business with him, and I can tell you the story about how I kind of figured out that was what I was going to end up doing. But, you know, I probably started to blossom more when I realized I really need to create my own identity. And if that meant that I might do things a little differently than Ron, if that meant that I might have different leadership tendencies or styles than Ron, um, then so be it. I, I got to be comfortable being Spencer Cup from And um, that was the way I was going to spread my wings and be able to grow um, into the leader and 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 executive that I wanted to be.
0: When was that for you that you had that? Do you remember a specific moment where you had that mental shift? Like, okay, I'm going to be me. I'm going to try to be the best Spencer I can be. I Maybe not necessarily can be the best Ron. I can learn from Ron. And I'm sure yep. you learned a lot from Ron but was there a specific moment that that happened or was that more of a process for you? I'm curious.
1: Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a moment. It was a process.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: for me, I know some people have certain moments in their life yeah. where, you know, there's a,
0: like a pivot, you know, yeah.
1: where, where that, where that light bulb goes off or whatever. For me, it just evolved and it evolved. The way it evolved is because I got to know my father better when you work with someone, you're creating a bit of a different dynamic and people who've been in family businesses or worked with their fathers, their mothers, their brothers, mm-hmm. their sisters, cousins, whatever. You know, getting to know my father as the executive.
0: Yeah. That's uh, that's interesting.
1: Is a different dynamic than getting to know my father as Ron his dad. Yeah. And and so I love both those guys and they're both <laughs> fantastic guys, but they're different. Mm. And so as I got to know him a little more as my boss, as my mentor, I always looked up and idolized my father, whether, you know, and, and both my parents. I don't want to leave my mother. My mother's she's a great leader in her own right and I've got certain, obviously, certain qualities from her that I bring to work every day. be remiss if I didn't didn't mention her impact on all this. In my house, the joke was that, you know, if the CEO was the title, then my mother was the chief and my father was the executive officer. (laughs) That was kind of our joke in the Kupferman family. And it was true. You know, I couldn't have asked for, like I said, I couldn't have asked for a better mentor uh, to just observe and watch my father. And I think as I started to... uh, to work w- with him, you know, when I first joined in officially in 1996, after I graduated undergrad, you know, I was three or four hierarchy positions away from Ron. Yeah, yeah. I didn't work for my father and, and I was making, you know, $30,000 a year. And, and I thought I was the richest guy in the world, you know, getting that paycheck. And I just, and then I, I saw how much Uncle Sam took. And then I, that was kind of a buzzkill. But, <laughs> um, but, you know, it was, it was really thrilling for me. To be able to say that I worked at Global Software, a company that obviously I've been familiar with throughout my whole childhood, and, and uh, remember my father taking me in the office when I was a, a young boy and small enough to hide, playing hide and go seek with my my brother or sister behind the mainframes downstairs in the in the basement, and 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 kind of growing up in that environment, software was the family business. I mean, that's what we did. And so, and then, you know, growing up and as a teen, uh, getting summer jobs there, cutting the lawn at the office, working in the mailroom, packing tapes of software and doing all that stuff. And, and uh, I just loved it. It, w- it was great. It was a great experience. But then coming out of college and having to really kind of take a, a serious job there. And that all happened going into my senior year. I, I was five years in college. I, tra- I played basketball at the University of, of New Hampshire. And I, I, I transferred from a Division three school in New England College where I played. And kind of upgraded part of of my college experience, and was able to play you know Division One basketball at University of New Hampshire, and and kind of, so that kind of took a five year to sit out a year and all these these NCA rules that I had to respect there. And so playing and doing that and coming into my senior year, I remember I do remember this moment, which was a phone call uh, where I was in New Hampshire. I was in New Hampshire. I called called my father and and said, Hey, you know I'm getting ready to get into my final two semesters. And, and I'm starting to think about that. I actually have to get a job after, uh, after college and this
0: is going to end. Oh man. Right.
1: This is, it's <laughs> all going to end. And you know, all the, you know, after parties of the games and the, you know, it's over. The party is officially over. The
0: NBA. Right. Wasn't no, calling.
1: Yeah. The, I'm not getting, you know, I'm, I'm not lining up for the June draft there and that's not going to happen. So, uh, so I actually have to go and, uh, and, and, and do something for a living productive uh, with my life. And so calling my father and saying, um, hey, I don't, you know, I don't really know what I want to do after this. And I just kind of calling you to see if maybe you had some ideas. And at that time, my brother was, was in the diamond business in New York City. And that was potentially an option to go and learn that craft uh, maybe. And, and then um, my father said to me, well, I'll tell you what you, um, you come work for me if you want, uh, I'll give you an opportunity and you try it out for six months. And if you like it, great. And you keep going. And if you don't, you can always go do something else, but I can make a spot for you. And on one condition, and I said, all right, well, what's, what's the condition? He said, well, you know, you've been in school now for four years. You got one more year. You haven't taken one computer class. You haven't taken hardly any business classes. I need you to start, you know, maybe applying yourself in those areas a little bit so you'll have at least some, you know, idea um, and some basis of education there to kind of join the business there. And I said, okay, no problem. I'll, I'll go do it. So I called my counselor. I got into computer science 101, got into, you know, statistics and, and all sorts of different type of uh, business courses. I was a, my my major was in kinesiology. Mm. If you could spell that very quickly for me, <laughs> no, I, um, I'm not even I mean, going to try. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. So still, still <laughs> tough for me. And it's written on my diploma. I still can't sell, uh, spell it. But, but, um, but so I had this, had this, this bachelor of science there, and and really needed to focus on some electives and business and computers, and and so I did that and and uh, got a little education. Wasn't like a standout student there at all, and then was able to start my career that that following May, and he gave me an opportunity and. The kind of the rest was was history,
0: and that was ninety six that you started. That was
1: that was ninety six when I officially started global, and you know, and my father. You know, just getting back to your original question, what was it like? Um, You know, one of the other thing there was, you know, one of the other things that's important to note is my my father has been wildly successful, and you know, if I have a minuscule the amount of success that 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 he's had, that's great. I think what's more important than that is I just if I could just be a little bit of the of the father that he's been. Yeah, to my children, then to me, that would complete a successful cycle in life. That's Tell us more about important. that. What That's what did he? To me.
0: What what stands out to you about him being a father, and what what are some qualities that really stand out to you about also him as a leader?
1: He's just was just always supportive. Hmm. At the end of the day, um, you know, if I wanted to, if I was going to go take three hours my afternoon and just dribble a basketball around the front yard, he'd make sure I had a ball that was pumped up and ready to go, um, hmm. and Come outside and rebound for me. Or I was into baseball. He'd take me to the park. He went to Kmart, bought a bucket of balls and a bat. He said, "Let's go. Let's go do it." And I just sit out there in ninety degrees and hit balls. And he's pitching them to me, and I'm smashing them back at him. And (laughs) you know, there's no there's no L screen, and he's like, you know, you know, he's kind of ducking. And (laughs) I
0: love it. Just that quality time. Yeah, just
1: quality time, and just but just a supportive just a supportive Mm -hmm. person uh, for anything I wanted to be and whatever that aspiration might have been. If I didn't end up in this business he would have been just as supportive, just as loving and caring and compassionate. And no, no I mean nobody's perfect. Ron Compton's not perfect. I'm certainly not. Yeah. But when I look back and see how he was supportive, that was a reflection on his leadership abilities because being supportive is really about listening. Sometimes as a father as a parent we can get caught up in, hey, you need to be doing this. Yeah. Mm. Hey, you got to you got to do this because that's what I did. Right. Um, or that's the way that I was. So you now now you have to do that. My, my father was never like that at all. He never put any pressure on me to be in this business, to be the next Ron Kupferman. It was all about who is Spencer Kupferman. Wow. That's the question he, he would always have. What do you want to do when you grow up? Who are you? What's your identity? What do you want to be? And so that was a total reflection of his leadership um, in the
0: office, Uh, that's powerful too. Sorry to cut you off, but that's so powerful too, especially with him having so much success. A lot of times I do, it seems like when people have success, it's easy for them to get caught up and you need to be just like me. Like there's one path to success, but that's so powerful that he allowed you to explore and go play basketball and do these things that you genuinely wanted to do. And then eventually you decided on your own to become to get in the software business. And I imagine that that made it so much more meaningful to you because it's your decision. And here he is again, supporting you through that process and helping you figure it out yourself. And I think that I actually just, I was just reading a book and it talked about this Australian uh, researcher or nurse who sat with people in the last 12 years of their life. And one of the biggest regrets that they had is they said, I wish I had had the courage to be more true to myself. And not live the life that everyone else wanted me to live and I think so many listeners so many people that are probably turning in today can relate to that that feeling of man I, I feel this urge to conform or to do what all of these different people even maybe our parents who might have good intentions they love us but maybe they're just wanting us to be secure uh, so I just I just think that's really cool Spencer how how he did that for you
1: he did and and it's just grown from there. He's now even, you know, at PK where he's, he's on my board. It's kind of ironic that he's on my board. You know, <laughs> like I said, I, I owe a lot to, to him and my mother because they've always been so supportive of em- anything and everything I wanted to do. And that included failures, adversity, and maybe not mm. feeling so great about yourself at certain times. And he's just, you know, always there. And, you know, the, the greatest quality that I learned from him as an executive and as a human being is listening. Mm. It, it's such an underrated yes, such an underrated skill as a human being. Think about all the people, who just don't listen, and yeah. they're just bad listeners, and people That's are so powerful. concerned with how they're, how they're getting ready to answer that question, they're not really listening to what you're saying, and watching my father operate all those years. I was just amazed how he could just sit there and wow. just listen to people and then, but not just listen, but a good listener, and then come back with a powerful question mm. that was empowering that was different, that was creative. That was so powerful for me to watch that. And I learned, just learned so much from his ability to listen to his people. And to me, that's the biggest reason he's such a, he was, he, he had been such a success o- over all these years, is he just, you know, he's a good listener. And, you know, he's not a know-it-all, you know, he, he stays in his lane, he plays to his strengths. And ironically, that's what I've become. And And so I don't pretend to be something I'm not, I don't pretend to know things that I don't know. You know, what you see is kind of what you get and and uh, leadership's about empowerment. It's about listening. And those two things are really anchored in, in my father's philosophy. I've fortunately picked up those and applied those to what I do every day as a, as a CEO, as a, hopefully as a father, husband, you know, try to, try to empower, try to empower the, my children to pick their paths, whatever that is. They don't have to be the CEO of a, of a software company. They don't have to, do that if they want to go and run the Bronx Zoo, or they want to go be a professional tennis player, or uh, you know, or work for the part, Department of Sanitation, whatever that is, whatever they're passionate about and love. That's that's what we need to support.
0: Man, that's such great advice. Uh, that, as I'm just sitting here listening to you talk about that, I I just am taking notes because that's I just think that's so important. And, and for a lot of leaders, it, it probably is they they maybe internally see that and say, man, that's that's important. But as the day-to-day busyness and the stress and the numbers and all that stuff, I, I have just found sometimes it's easier to say and harder to do. But I love hearing that from you as someone who has been the CEO of multiple companies and, and I hear get that from Ron, that you can do that and still have the level of success that you and he have had, uh, that you can do it. You can, you can be a good listener. You can be curious, you can be humble, you can be yourself. You don't have to be someone you're not. You can admit when you don't know stuff. And then you can still have these highly successful companies and be a successful leader. Um,
1: yes. And, and, uh, and, and yes, to your point about easier said than done. I don't, I'm not professing to say I'm, I'm, I execute on all those fronts perfectly because yeah. I don't. I try to be a little better you know, every day. But those are always top of mind. And you know and his cute. humbleness. You, know, you mentioned the word humble. I, I left that out. It's probably again one of his greater qualities. You know, you'd never know that my father had the types of successes he's had in his life. He's always treated everybody the same. If it's the baggage handler at the airport, if it's you know if it was the president of the United States or a big shot politician or a big shot business man or woman, he'd always treat them the same. And I I, I saw that. I picked I up on that. that. And and uh, that's a really important point is no matter what type of success you're blessed with it's important to not take yourself so so seriously
0: yeah, yeah. How, how do you think he's been able to maintain that as he's experienced different levels of financial success and power and prestige have you seen him do anything or, or just are there any things that you think keep him grounded or keep you grounded
1: you know for him I, I think um, I, I think it's in his DNA I, I don't I, it's hard to put my finger on one thing because he, because he's never been different So, you know, when my father didn't have necessarily, uh, I wouldn't say he was ever poor, but certainly was not affluent. And so seeing him in that regard, because I've kind of lived that, I've lived it, middle class, upper middle class family, you know, for most of my childhood, just kind of a middle class family. And then, um, you know, getting into the upper middle class and then and watching my father's success and seeing that he never changed. It didn't matter. It didn't matter how much, how many pennies he could rub in his pocket together. It just didn't matter. He you know, still get the same Hanes t shirts and the, still go to Kmart. And you know, he never was like affected by that stuff it, because when you're grounded in your family and your and your faith, which my father is, what else is there? You know, that's what that's your guiding principle in life. You can't let material things or successes, financial or otherwise, get in the middle and stunt that. That's not healthy mentally. It's certainly not healthy for the family dynamic, which I know for my father is most important um, for him, his children, uh, his wife, that kind of means the world to him. And, and so it's nice to have, and no one would ever knock that and apologize for that. But just being a humble guy, you know, he's, he was a United States Marine, he served his country. I think that shaped him a little bit in that humble way and, and grounded him. You know, maybe in the middle of he didn't didn't appreciate it when he's in the middle of it at Paris Island, Uh, and he's got some great stories there, and maybe you'll hear about those one day. But you know, just have a lot of respect for kind of things that his adversity and what he went through, and growing up in that time during the Vietnam era, and having been rejected himself from jobs. He went into IBM, and they didn't you know they didn't want him, and so he ended up taking a different route. So I think. A common theme with a lot of great leaders, as you know, is there's adversity. It's not like all yeah. peaches of cream and yeah. People tell you no sometimes, and how do you respond to that?
0: Did he did his parents immigrate here? What generation immigrated here to the United States? His father. His father. Not, okay. not his mother. I want to say his mother was born here. His
1: father's okay. from Vienna,
0: Austria. Vienna. Okay. So I, I wanna ask you, and you already you already mentioned it a little bit about yeah. adversity, about difficulty. So I, I think many people, and the reason I'm going to ask you this question is, is because it's easy to look at you, you've been the CEO of all these different companies, you've had success, and perhaps think you're a little bit hard to relate to, or, or I can't get to where you're at because maybe I haven't had the same opportunities, or you've done everything right. So I'd like for you to, if, you, if you're willing, and I'm not asking this question to embarrass you or anything, but if you could just, how has adversity and how has mistakes and failures, how has that shaped you? How has that impacted the way you lead and how helped you really, I guess, get to where you are today?
1: Well, you know, failures, uh, it can be a really powerful tool to use as a, a launching pad for your success. Uh, throw adversity in there. I mean, geez, I, I could go on and on with all the, all the since I was a child, all the, the failures and the adversity. What, what is failure? Failure is you kind of trying to come to grips with the reality that maybe you're not as good as you think you are. Um, I had a lot of that. I had a lot, of, as we say in the South, a lot of humble pie, and I ate a lot of it. And what I always tell the people I work with in the software business is you're probably not as bad as your last loss, and you're probably not as good as your last win you're probably somewhere in the middle. I think when you look at failure, people telling you, no, you're not good enough. You know, I always had a chip on my shoulder from a very young age. I was always trying to create, I don't know if it's enemies, probably not. That's maybe a little strong of a term, but trying to create angles where that would motivate and inspire me. And whether it was physically and in sports and with my sports prowess and basketball, like I'm hearing things, like did he actually say that, kind of get my blood boiling and creating that chip on my shoulder. Or whether it was in business with with competition, you have to actually step up when you're competing. You can't. You have to step up your intensity, step up your skill, step up all these different aspects of your mentality. Have to kind of change to not just compete, but but to win. And so, being told that you know, I was cut from a number of of basketball teams as a child, as a, as a teen, as an adolescent, there was a time where I applied. I think I mentioned to you before I applied to the FBI in North Carolina, and uh, I was rejected. Being in these types of situations, getting a phone call, something you gave your heart for and someone telling you just not cutting it. You know, I was rejected from half a dozen business schools, wanted nothing to do with me. You know, at some point, you got to look at the mirror and say, you can look at the mirror and say, wait, wait a minute, maybe, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. And what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And you got to have a chip on your shoulder, especially nobody's going to feel sorry for you. And so kind of coming to grips with some of those situations kind of helped me to, like I said, create whatever it took for me to get going. You know, growing up, I wasn't a great student in school. Math and science weren't my thing. I was a slow reader. Um, My reading comprehension wasn't that great. You know, when you're sitting in class and the other 22 students are getting exactly what the teacher's teaching and you feel all alone because you're not. That's a lonely feeling of failure. Like, am I? what did, What am I, what, how come I don't get it? And I spend all this time trying to get that and I can't get it. That's a, not a good feeling. And I had that feeling a lot in school growing up. You know, by the time I got to college, I was able to, under the Americans with Disabilities Act, get um, extra time on testing at, at university and was able to do what I needed to do. But, But, you know, trying to face those things down when you're just growing up and like I said, all your friends are acing everything and they're celebrating their successes at school. And you're kind of sitting there thinking, you know, I don't know what it, what is it about me? What, you know, why, why can't I read that? Why can I do that math problem? So that if it's not addressed and and you're not, you're not being proactive, of course, my parents are really proactive about it. And and I was proactive about it knowing, Hey, something, something I need to, we got to fix something here. And, you know, in those days, these types of things were not they didn't look at it with, you know, all of the microscopes that are now all over our children now about learning disabilities and dyslexia and all these things. And I'm not, I'm not dyslexic, but you know, just like I said, struggled in certain things. And, and uh, you know, my process time in those areas just wasn't what everybody else's was in those days. And so that, that could be discouraging. And I fought through it. I had to fight through it and I knew I was trying to get somewhere. And, and, uh, but yeah, there were times where I felt, you know, lonely and, sad and uh, and dejected. But again, no one's going to feel sorry for you. Life goes on and the sun comes up the next day. So you got to figure out ways to learn and how you're going to find your way out of that. And and I did, but it was intimidating at times. And so the combination of all those types of failures and adversity kind of created what I am today and uh, and how I look at life, how I look at every task I try to go after. And I think it's made me a, a much more grounded Better person but I never lost the chip on my shoulder never we never we never lose that because learning how to compete and like I said pulling that lesson away from from the basketball and the sports is something I bring that intensity and really addicted to competing and bringing that every day is is something that uh, to me I, I can't put a price on on that lesson that I learned and that's kind of shaped me today
0: Wow well thanks for sharing that Spencer because I think it is easy to see your success and not see what's under that you know, tiny iceberg of success is all the the difficulties, the struggles, the challenges. Building what I think Angela Duckworth would call grit, which is that combination of passion and perseverance. The other day in Georgia, my daughter's kindergarten class, they were given out these little rocks, and they were each rock had a word on it, and they the word was you meant to describe the the child. And I, I was telling Georgia, I was so proud because the word that she got was perseverance, which. Ooh. That's to, a great you one. know, That's to a some people, one. right. Cause to some people that, you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of other words that she could have got that I would have been proud of, but that really meant a lot to me of all the reading I've done. It's, you know, talent in a lot of ways is overrated. It's that yep. willingness to persist, that willingness to experience failure, setback and continue. I, I get, you think of the Stockdale paradox. It's this idea that you're willing to confront current reality, even though it's ugly but you also never lose sight of the fact that you will prevail. You know, Jim Collins right. talks about that. And I, I just think that what I hear you saying is grit. And, and I've seen that now. You know, my wife who's worked with you, you have led now through software acquisitions, through mergers, through all of these different transitions, through steady state, through hyper growth. Does that still, do a lot of those lessons stick with you today as you deal with the daily struggles of being a CEO at a software company?
1: Um, I think they do, and I would I would say based on your on this grit, this definition. You know, you mentioned talent is overrated. You know, I you know I kind of follow Tim Tebow and kind of what he does with his life. One of my favorite quotes that that he has is "hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard." Mm. I love that one. It really resonates with me that. because yeah, because you know, as as an athlete, as an executive, I'm a, I'm a grinder. That's who I am. I'm not. I just grind it out, man. That that's kind of. <laughs> What I've always been i you know, I was always a feisty guy, look, you know, I was parachuted into a company in the p k where literally in the middle of a recession um, <laughs> right with covid nineteen and I love it it's awesome and it's an awesome moment for p k where it's much bigger than me, and there's so many great people there who are doing a great job in the middle of this very very unprecedented difficult uh challenging situation and so all of those that you mentioned, all of those different phases. In a business, pose different types of stresses on the business, on you individually, and so I, I like to think in in this round with leading PK Wear and like I would say about Natalie, I think I'm a, I'm a better CEO today than I was at Global because of all those experiences that you mentioned. Yeah, uh, and I'm better equipped to to lead. It's a day, it's a day to time, it's a customer to time. There's been a lot of great lessons that I've had the opportunity to be in front of and witness. It's been a great journey. I'm I'm just glad it's not over.
0: Well, I love it. And it, it's just, it goes back to your mindset. You have a, you clearly have a growth mindset. You don't have a fixed mindset. You're continuing to grow, get better, learn, be curious, even after all the success, which I, I admire that a That's lot right. about you, Spencer. I want to ask you about how you lead yourself because I think you, are leading in, in often challenging circumstances and environments. Challenging in the sense that there's a lot to accomplish. There, there are a lot of problems, I'm sure, to solve. I think we were talking the other day. You have a lot of decisions that you're making every single day. Your job as the CEO you know, is probably to solve problems and make decisions, I imagine. How do you lead yourself? Uh, in fact, as we were talking before, it surprised me to learn that you are an introvert, which, you know, I mean, that probably surprises a lot of people because you are so outgoing. And, and again, that's often confused with introversion and shynesses. But what are some things that you do to sustain yourself while you're leading a team?
1: You know, I, I mean, I do a number of things. You know, as an, speaking from an introverted perspective, and I'm glad you, glad you brought that up. There's that big misconception about, about introverts that we just want to be in front of a computer all day and be in a corner and in a dark room and not be bothered or we're not social or, you know, I don't know where that stigma stuck or why it did, but it's completely inaccurate. I love people. I need people. I do. I feel like because I, I give my all to those people in my life, whether it's colleagues, employees, it's 100% family the same thing but from an introverted perspective there comes a time where you got to shut it down and i i need to shut it down you know i think one of the ways that i shut it down is through my faith you know in the jewish faith we have a sabbath like like other faiths that sabbath starts at sundown on friday night and it goes through sundown on saturday and part of that concept is you know it's family and it's checking out from the devices checking out from the emails checking out from the texts about five years ago, I, I kind of took it on myself to just shut the shut the phone off at sundown and not pick it back up till that Saturday night, and kind of forced me to focus in on probably what was really important in life, and also you know it gave me a chance to not be Spencer CEO anymore, <laughs> just be Spencer husband, father, regular guy doing regular things, and so my, I mean my faith is a big factor in my leadership because I get inspiration from a greater power in the world. When I wake up every morning, I, I pray. That's that's what we do and, and so that's a whole ritual and it puts me in I'm a routine guy, so it puts me in my routine. You know, I'll splice in some seven mile runs. That's an hour, that's a little more than an hour for me to do that. And I call that that's my meeting with myself. That's that's my that's my that's my board meeting with Spencer. And I get to talk to Spencer, I get to share ideas with Spencer, I get to be re energized and create, like I said, some of those voices mm-hmm. that I need sometimes to yeah launch me in a way that is uh, intense, that I need some level of intensity to accomplish a certain task or a feat and just kind of pump myself back up and re-energize. And I don't, I'm not running in a big group. I'm not, it's not a social outing. It's just me and and Spencer and all the iterations of Spencer.
0: Is that no Um, music, no podcast? Yeah, yeah, I
1: don't, yeah, no, I'm not a music guy when I run. Um, I've tried it. I might say I've never done it. I've tried it. I feel um, it interrupts my meeting. Yeah, I love music. Don't get me wrong. And there are times where I do chill and listen to music and grab a beer. And, and I do that too. But in that moment, I need to hear myself. I can't listen mm-hmm. to, to the music there. And I like to listen to the sounds around me and, and be in touch with that. Part of my routine is it's just me. And I have to have my routine and I have to have parts of that routine be about me. So I can be the leader that I can be, need to be for BKWare, for, BK Wear, for yeah. my family.
0: I love that. That's what Greg McEwen would call protect the asset. You know, you're protect. you've got to lead yourself because you, you lead out of who you are. And if, and if you are, if your cup is empty, it's kind of hard for you to pour out anything. And I love that. And I love the fact that you don't have any music. You're not listening to podcasts. That's that solitude that we all need for creativity, reflection, processing, but it is so rare in our current world because we have this smartphone that we can so easily disrupt those little sips of solitude that used to be inevitable. We used to get those when we were sitting in line at the you know, the store or whatever. Now it's just, it's easy to have solitude deprivation. I love that. Well, Spencer, I know you're busy. And as we're wrapping up here, I want to ask you kind of a lightning round uh, of questions. It's really four main questions. The first one is, what are your top, maybe two books that you would recommend that have maybe impacted you the most?
1: So, you know, I like to read about about people, mm-hmm. to learn about people and leaders and that kind of thing. But, and I don't get to do enough of it. But I would say that the two books that I think I've taken uh, the most from as a, a leader in, in my particular discipline would be Good to Great, Jim mm-hmm. Collins. I reference that a lot as a software, leader. just some great stuff in there for how to really focus in on taking a really good company and making it a great one. So, absolutely, shout out to, to that book. And then, the first book my father ever told me I had to read, one of his requirements before working for him was Crossing the Chasm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one. It really? No, I've never read that.
0: About,
1: yeah, well, what it talks about is the evolution of a market. How does it really work when you come up with a new, you invent a new product, like software, for example, that's why it was relevant to me. Yeah. Early adopters, innovators, the late late adopters, that, like I said, that whole evolution That happens. How does it work? Why does it work the way it does? And how can you try to control certain aspects of that evolution? So that's an incredibly insightful book. If you're looking to get into the software business for all of our listeners who are tuning in and might be thinking about a career in software or technology, Crossing the Chasm, Jeffrey Moore, it's been out there for decades. It's an awesome book. Thank my father every day for making that a, a prerequisite to my joining the business and and getting involved in it. And, you know, for pleasure, I'm I'm really into the Daniel Silva novels. I gotta be honest.
0: Yeah. I familiar the No, but Silva? I, I appreciate you mentioning that because it's not just about reading for work. There's yes. benefits to reading fiction, nonfiction, everything.
1: Exactly. So I try to, again, that's probably another, you could chalk that up to another escape of mine, but yeah, Daniel Silva, I've been following those for the last, you know, decade or so. So, uh, those are, those are kind of the books there.
0: What's your top marriage advice?
1: Um, the top marriage advice is, uh, a late friend of mine. It's, it's really probably two things, but a late friend of mine told me that marriage comes down to one word, compromise. Hmm. And if you're not willing to compromise, it's going to be a tough road to hoe. If you can get around to the mental mindset, that's not all about you all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, For us guys, that's a tough one. (laughs) If you can get around to the mindset, that's not all about you all the time, that it can be about you some of the time. Some of the time it's going to be maybe more about you. and Other times it's going to be a a lot lot less about you, especially when children enter the mix. You can really make it work. Uh, It's a beautiful thing. And so... That, that that's always tough for guys who we're single We're it's all about us. We're, we're doing what we want to do in our professions and our personal life. And then all of a sudden we're, you know, we join up and make a partnership for life and then find out that um, it's not all about us. Uh, <laughs> and we have to, we got to give a little, you know, yeah. and, and that's hard, man. It's hard. It's hard for yeah. uh, it's hard for anybody. You know, we're all, you know, we're human. So we're selfish just naturally. We're just selfish. Yeah. Right? We want to eat. We got to eat. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's about us as humans. So then, trying to not have that be that way after it's been that way for so many years—that's a tough transition. And I've—I've been at it. I think uh, next week is my thirteenth, God willing, our thirteenth wedding anniversary.
0: Awesome! Congrats, man. Give
1: give a shout out to my wife, Ruti, who's uh, such a a rock. You know, you and I married up. There's no question about it. No doubt.
0: Yeah, no doubt.
1: I'm going to say that publicly, and um, (laughs) I would agree. (laughs) She's just everything for me and my children, and she really is the glue. In my family, and when she gets up in the morning, I watch her get out, and she's just an inspiration to me. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention her here on this podcast for all for all she does. I'd say it's the same rule in my family from generation to generation. i we got a CEO in the house; she's the chief, and I'm just the executive officer, and that's the way it works in the, in this generation of the Cupraman household. And I'm honored and uh, I'm humbled that she's you know been in, been in my life uh, for that long. And uh, happy
0: anniversary. That's awesome. I, that's such great advice. I wish I'd had that early in my marriage. I remember when we first got married, now and I were really- living...
1: Yeah, Natalie told me.
0: Oh, <laughs> she told you. All right. Yeah, yeah. Good. Uh, What's well, true. Yeah, we were in uh, Hawaii and I it was just such an adjustment because I, just like you described, I'm a guy. I'd been doing guy things with my yep. friends. Here I am. Yeah. We're in Hawaii. Master, Master like, of your own domain. Yeah, we're in Hawaii. So, I'm thinking I have all these plans and yep. not- not anywhere in the calculus that I think that I would say no to any of this stuff. Of course, or that course. there, or that there was anyone other than me that I had to consult with. And uh, <laughs> so it was, it was a healthy period of growth for me. I, I love that. What, what would you say, Spencer, to the parents out there? What, what's your best parenting advice? Oh
1: man, I'm not the guy to give the parenting <laughs> advice, but you spent your
0: humility. <laughs> there you go.
1: I'll give, I'll give it a shot. I'm, you know, I, I'm still learning every day, but. I, you know, I just tell you what, you know, I can share with the audience, you know, what I've learned is, has helped me, but I'm just not the most patient guy, man. I'm just, I'm not
0: know thyself. Um,
1: And uh, yeah. And and that quality in mine has been a a real, it's been a fantastic quality from a business perspective. Mm -hmm. And I have an element of impulsivity about me too, which again, in business can be very good and take you into places before other people get there. So that that's been great from a parent perspective. Being impulsive and not patient, not not a great combination there. (laughs) So I think what I've learned, and I would tell all the all the parents listening in, God bless them all. It's it's it is really our most important job, and it's certainly our toughest. I would say that uh, ease up on the impulsivity to react to a child in the moment. I know that's hard. Take a deep breath there if you can, maybe two or three. And patience, man. I mean, wow. Being patient with a child. Can transform a relationship, and I've I've noticed that firsthand. I'm not the same parent I was five years ago, two years ago, or ten years ago. I like to think I'm a little better. Hopefully, my wife would agree with me. She'll get to weigh in on that. But I, I just feel like being patient is something that can really change the dynamic in a, in a family from a parent to a child, and and even obviously spouse to spouse. I mean, obviously, patience is a great thing, and that's probably part of the marriage advice too. You know, I was going to say. My other bit, by the way, my other bit of marriage advice, Cal, was, um, you know, for guys like you and me is, yes, honey.
0: Mm. Yeah, that just is a good one. one. Yeah, Yes, honey. <laughs> You're, right. You're right. Yes, honey. Yes. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Yeah. You want to be happy.
1: I mean, you can, <laughs> stubborn guys like me, you know, we, we used to want to always be right all the time and that. Yeah. You no, know, I just, I'm not getting paid enough in that situation to continue <laughs> with that approach. It's just, it's, it's painful so it's yeah. better to you know we have we have a term in in uh in judaism in, in hebrew actually it's called shalom bite shalom <laughs> means peace we all know what shalom means
0: uh-huh.
1: and bite means house in hebrew peace in the house
0: mm, it's important a
1: very important concept uh in our faith and quite frankly in everybody's and mm-hmm. and uh that uh you know how do you make how do you make shalom bite and uh sometimes you make those sacrifices those compromises to keep shalom bite, and maybe yeah. you don't get to say, maybe you don't get to say you're right that day, but
0: <laughs> but you got that shalom bite.
1: You got shalom bite, man. It's all about <laughs> shalom bite. So that's that's what we try to keep, and and it's hard, but you you know you got to find ways to do it.
0: That's great stuff. So This is my last question, Spencer. Sure. Uh, I think we often in society we focus a lot on what we're against, and we we're quick to say I'm against this, I'm against that. I'm curious. What would you want to be remembered as being for? Um,
1: It's a good question. That's a thoughtful question. And I want to be, I'd like to be remembered for making a positive impact in whatever I do, all the movements I make in my day or my life, we have to be purposeful in what we're doing. Life's, it's incredibly short and delicate and going through your days without Purpose. And there are people that live that way, and I'm—I'm—I so, feel terrible for them. Sometimes it's not of their own doing, but I—I've tried to be more, be more vigilant, especially certainly as I get older, and the, and the time seems to be getting shorter. You know, you want to be purposeful with all your movements and everything you do, whether it's in business. That's a—that's a big thing of mine. In business, is let's be purposeful with everything we're doing and every movement we make in business. And in my personal life, I want to be remembered as well for being purposeful with my children. You know, purpose is, the, why else do we live if there's not purpose? You, to your podcast, you know, being intentional with, with how we're living our lives. You know, for me, if, if people would remember that I, I was purposeful in a positive way and, and was impactful, it, whether it's in the community or m- most importantly with, with the people I love, you know, my with my children, you know, I don't ever want my children ever say, hey, he made me do that. I, it wasn't something I was passionate about, but he kind of forced my hand there. And that's the kind of guy my father was. No. That's not the kind of guy that I want to be for them, and and I'm not that, and so I can I can say that I want people to think, wow, you know that guy. He was very purposeful in everything he did. He was really intentional, and he made a real significant impact in his little, my little small piece of the world for whatever that's worth. That's kind of how I would want to be remembered. And then, and the last thing I, I wanted to I, I wanted to do, Cal, on this podcast is is to really to give a shout out. I mentioned your service. I do want to mention we're in a terrible a crisis here, and I did want to mention all the all the first responders and the people working in hospitals, acute care facilities, and people working in supermarkets that I've experienced, and all of the police and the the firemen and every all the people that actually have to go into harm's way every day and and do what they do to save American lives, lives around the world, not just in this country. But I did want to just take a moment and recognize their contributions to society in this in this unprecedented one in a 100 year pandemic uh, that we're in the middle of. And I just feel it was important to keep them top of mind as well as as we're in the comfort of our homes and we do what we do for a living. And that's great. But there's other also the people out there that are fighting this invisible enemy that's obviously disrupted our lives to an extent that's not even describable in many people's cases and caused a lot of pain. For a lot of people in the world, so I wanted to give a shout out to them and tell them they're on the top of my mind and I'm thinking about and appreciating all that they do for all of us. We've had a couple of hospital visits, not COVID related, during this time, and you know I got an older son who broke his ankle last week and and he had to go to the hospital and they were there, you know they were there and they were awesome and took care of my yeah. son and and it's just not an easy uh, an easy situation for them, so um, so just a lot of love and respect for what they're doing.
0: Man, I'm so glad you said that. I just, I just echo that. I think so often, as you mentioned at the beginning of this, people thank service members for their service and that's so appreciated, but it's so clear right now how service is so far beyond just the military. And these people are putting themselves in harm's way. They're dealing with difficulty. I mean, I was wearing a mask the other day just for a little while and I was like, man, this is not fun. And you're, these people are wearing it all day long. All day. And so that's literally. just the norm for them. And you know, they're sacrificing or risking the exposure of their family and all these different things. So Spencer, thanks for saying that, man. I, I just want to echo that. Uh, and I just want to thank you, Spencer, for coming on the show today, for sharing your story, sharing those leadership insights, sharing with us how adversity has been part of your story, talking to us about how you lead yourself, and then sharing some of those critical pieces of advice from a parent, and a spouse. I just appreciate that so much. And I appreciate this relationship, man. So uh, I'm excited to get, continue to be in touch. And I sincerely appreciate you coming on today, sharing it with our audience. Love being here with you. I think you're doing a bang up job in this podcast. Um, I don't know why
1: it's, you know, it's not number one yet uh, in the world. <laughs> we're working. We're working. Well, of course, after you air mine, it, it will be. That's right. And, but you're doing a great job. And you know, you're certainly living an intentional life with, with all that you're doing for you and your community, our country and this, and this, uh, um, and your family and uh, love being a part of the, the Walters family. I appreciate the opportunity. It's been a, been, like I said, a real blessing to be part of Natalie's growth and her career. And now I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the intentional living family uh, uh, podcast and it's been awesome being here and uh, appreciate all the time and the honor to be here and be able to tell a little bit of my story today. Thanks so much. Thanks, brother.
0: Friends, thank you so much for listening today. I know I personally took so much from this interview. I loved hearing Spencer talk about his journey, what he learned from his dad, how his dad treats people with love and respect, no matter who they are, no matter how much success he has gained how important listening is as a leader. He talked about overcoming adversity. Spencer talked about how he leads himself and so much more. Please reach out to me. Let me know your favorite takeaway from today's interview. And as you head out today, I want to leave you with a question. How do you best recharge? For Spencer, he talked about being an introvert and how important those seven mile runs are for him and having a meeting with Spencer. What does recharging look like for you? As leaders, we have to do what Greg McEwen calls protecting the asset. And this may mean turning off your devices or making sure you get that seven plus hours of sleep or going for a long run or reading a book. Figure out what that is for you and make sure you make that a regular part of your daily or weekly routine. I want to thank each of you for listening today. Please make sure that you subscribe if you haven't already because I have a lot of great interviews that I'll be releasing over the next several months. Also, a special thank you to all 78 of you that have taken the time to rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts and those that have even taken the time to write a written review on Apple Podcasts that is how we grow to impact more people. And I'm just so appreciative of you and your support. So thank you so much for doing that. We are almost at the one year mark on this podcast, and I am just continuously blown away by your support. No matter what adversity or challenges you are going through today, those challenges are shaping you and they're building you. Let's go make the most of today. Life is short. Let's make it count today, friends.